0: Welcome back, Wanderers. First, a little announcement. I need to change the name of this podcast, and I need your help. In the show notes, you'll find a link to a survey, where you can vote on your favorite new name for the show. If you enter your email address, you'll be added to a drawing to win a $50 Amazon e-gift card. So, a major theme of Tolkien's works is friendship. Where would Frodo have gotten to if not for Sam? What would have happened to address if not for Fingon? Wandering Middle-Earth is better with a friend. Share this episode with someone you know, and leave a rating and review. That helps more wanderers to find the show, and as you may know, it is dangerous to go alone. So, let's invite more wanderers to join us in Middle-earth. Now, in today's episode, I'll cover, what is the Siege of Angband? Where did Galadriel dwell and why? Spoiler, because of a boy. What is the origin of dragons? This episode is an analysis of the second half of the chapter called, Of the Return of the Noldor, in a book called, The Silmarillion, written by J.R.R. Tolkien and published after his death by Ballantine Books in 1977. A link to purchase the Silmarillion is in the show notes. Welcome. In the Beginner's Guide to the Lord of the Rings podcast, we explore the foundational, epic stories from the deep past of Middle-Earth. If you enjoy J.R.R. Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-Earth, then listen and subscribe. Welcome fellow wanderers. Today's episode date is March 10th. On this day in Middle-earth, in the year 3019 of the Third Age, the Rohirrim have gathered and ride from Harodel towards Minas Tirith. Gandalf rescues Faramir outside the gates of Minas Tirith. Aragorn is quickly coming from the south with the Army of the Dead. Frodo and Sam pass the crossroads and see the Army of Orcs leaving Minas Morgul, heading to Minas Tirith. This is adapted from the Today in Middle-earth History calendar on the OneRing.net. Here's what's been going on so far. It is the First Age of Middle-earth. Feanor has died following a battle with Morgoth's forces. The kingship of the Noldor has passed from Feanor's son to Feanor's brother Fingolfin. The Noldor have set up a fortified camp in the northwest corner of Beleriand. Let's start today with Thingol, who was one of the original three ambassadors of the elves to see the light of the trees, but didn't return to Valinor on account of his marriage with the Maia Melian, and has established the kingdom of Doriath in the central area of Beleriand. In the fortified kingdom of Doriath, Thingol was not particularly happy to see so many great elven princes return from Valinor, all seeking their own realms and power. He didn't permit any of the Noldor to enter his kingdom, except for those who were of the house of Finarfin, because their mother was kin to Thingol. As a reminder, Thingol had led the Teleri, the largest and slowest faction of the elves to Valinor. The main body of the Teleri settled in the coasts along Valinor. Their chief city was Alquilonde. Finarfin, a half-brother to Feanor, had married Eärwen of Alquilonde and the Teleri. Thus, Thingol would welcome only Finarfin's children into Doriath, considering them kinsmen. On the journey from Valinor, Finarfin had returned to Tirion, the elven city in Valinor, after the shameful act of the kinslaying, although his children, including Galadriel, had continued the journey to Middle-earth, crossing the Grinding Ice in the north. One of Finarfin's sons, Angrod, was sent to be the first messenger from the Noldor to Thingol. Angrod informed Thingol of all things the Noldor had accomplished in the north, but, quote, thinking all griefs now forgiven, Angrod spoke no word concerning the kinslaying, nor of the manner of exile of the Noldor and the oath of Feanor. Thingol listens to all this and declares that the Noldor can expand to anywhere in Beleriand except Doriath, giving them a warning on how they behave themselves, and finishes by saying, quote, into Doriath none shall come to abide, but only such as I call as guests or who seek me in great need. This little qualifier that Thingol adds, that none will come to Doriath except at great need, is an important detail that we'll need to remember when we get to the story of Beren and Luthien, Thingol's daughter. Angrad returns to the Noldor in the north, and gives his report of Thingol's message. The sons of Feanor have various reactions. From Maedros, the eldest, who laughs but respects Thingol's claim to kingship, to Caranthir, who gets angry and rashly rejects the idea of any Noldorine elf visiting, quote, this dark elf in his caves. Now, dark elf was not necessarily an accurate title for Thingol, seeing as how he actually had seen the light of the Trees of Valinor and then returned to Middle-earth. Nevertheless, the faction of elves that followed Thingol and had remained in Beleriand were called the Sindar, and had a different language and culture than the Noldor. The council breaks up, and in time, the elven princes take their followers to various parts of northern Beleriand to set up a giant siege around Morgoth's lands. Maedhros takes the most indefensible position, and his brother Karanthir goes furthest to the east, settling on the western side of the Blue Mountains which are in the northwest corner of the maps of the Third Age of Middle Earth that you may be familiar with. From this eastern position, Caranthir had the most contact with the dwarves, and though there was quote no great love between the two peoples, they formed an alliance against Morgoth from which both profited. With the siege around Morgoth set, now came many years of peace, in which great feasts were made and Beleriand explored. Fingolfin, the high king of the Noldor, held a feast called Mereth Adarthad, the feast of reuniting. During the feast many alliances and friendships were formed. The language that was used was that of the Sindar elves, since they were slow to learn the language of the Noldor. And, quote, In those days there was joy beneath the new sun and moon, and all the land was glad, but still the shadow brooded in the north. After a time, Turgun, son of Fingolfin, sought out his friend and cousin, Finrod, son of Finarfin, and brother to Galadriel. One night as they rest near the river Sirion, Ulmo filled their sleeping minds with dreams. Ulmo is the Valar who has charge of all the waters of Middle-earth and he takes great pity on the Noldor elves in exile, trying to help them when he can. When they awoke, they didn't say anything to each other of the dreams Olmo had given them, for, quote, each believed that Olmo had sent a message to him alone. But the feeling of the dreams was the same, that peace would not last forever, and that they should create a place of final refuge, in case the northern armies were to fall to Morgoth's forces. Finrod and his sister Galadriel were often guests in the magnificent caves of Thingol's chief city, Menegroth and Finrod admires the strength and power of such a place. Eventually, he finds a suitable location, and with the help of the dwarves, dwells out a cavern fortress called Nargothrond near the river Narrog. Finrod paid the dwarves well, for he had managed to bring many priceless gems from Valinor. I think a great visualization of what these caves may have been like is to watch the Hobbit movie The Desolation of Smog. These caves were the fortress of Thranduil, a dark elf, yet I think it may help you to get a sense for what Nargothrond would have been like inside. One important detail to mention about Finrod and Nargothrone is during the time of the carving of the fortress, the dwarves also made for Finrod a necklace called Naglamir. This necklace was, quote, the most renowned of the dwarves' works in the Elder Days. This necklace will pop up again several times throughout the upcoming tales, and is the source of much future strife between dwarves and elves, and even amongst the elves, for eventually this necklace will have one of Feanor's Silmarils attached to it. Now, for those of you who have seen the extended versions of the Hobbit movies, there is an addition by Peter Jackson that I think is likely an allusion to this necklace. In An Unexpected Journey, Bilbo is telling Frodo of the animosity that grew between the elves and dwarves. And in the scene, we see a beautiful white gemmed necklace in possession of the dwarves, and denied to Thranduil the Elven King, Legolas' father. The necklace is mentioned again in the next movie, The Desolation of Smaug, when Thranduil demands it as bail payment to let Thorin and the dwarves go, which Thorin refuses. It would be a far stretch to say that the necklace in the movies is the same Naglamir that was fashioned for Finrod in the first age of Middle-earth, but I would venture to say that Jackson received inspiration from this beautiful, precious, yet troublesome piece of jewelry. Hmm, maybe there's another Tolkien theme there. Be wary of precious jewelry like necklaces and rings, but I digress. Because Finrod establishes his fortress in the caves, and true to Tolkienian style, Finrod receives a new name, surprise surprise, which is Feligund, hewer of the caves. So, if you've attempted to read the Silmarillion before and couldn't remember who Feligund was, that's because Finrod Feligund is the same person, and his names are used interchangeably. Before we leave Finrod, we need to get an update on his sister Gladriel. She did not dwell with her brother and his people in Nargothron, but rather dwelt in Doriath with Thingol and Melian. There also dwelt Celeborn, and quote, There was great love between them. Therefore, she remained in the hidden kingdom of Doriath. We know in later ages of Middle-earth that Celeborn and Galadriel are married and dwell together in Lothlorien. And while the detail of marriage isn't mentioned quite yet, their love for each other has endured not one, but four ages of Middle-earth. That's several thousand years. No wonder the lives of men seem fleeting to elves. Gladriel also learned much wisdom from Melian. Remember, Melian was a Maiar, after all, one of the demigod-like beings who helped the Valar create the world. Okay, let's switch back to Turgon, Finrod's friend, who also had the dream of Olma to find a place of strength. Turgon remembered the elven city of Tirion in Valinor, which was set on a hill. He searched long through Beleriand, but didn't find a similar place. So Olmo himself appeared to Turgon, who guided him to find an underground passage to a secret valley surrounded by mountains, in the middle of which stands a green hill. He returns to his home and begins to devise a plan to build a refuge there in a similar fashion to Tyrion. If you remember, while the Noldor were leaving Velenor, many of them looked back at their fair city, in contrast to Feanor and his sons, who didn't look back at all. Turgon was one of these who did look back and for his fair city of old, quote, his heart yearned in exile. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back.
1: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket?
0: In time, Morgoth decides to make a, quote, trial of the strength and watchfulness of his enemies. He sends forth earthquakes, fires, and orcs. But the elves are attentive and defeat the orcs and even pursue them to their master's gates. They had scored a victory, and yet they were also reminded of the dangers from the north and organized their watch over Morgoth's realm. And while the elves set a siege around Agband, Morgoth would once in a while try their strength. But the elves and Morgoth are essentially at a stalemate. So Morgoth began to devise new weapons to use against the elves, for, quote, Morgoth perceived now that the orcs unaided were no match for the Noldor. A hundred more years pass, when suddenly a new evil bursts forth from Angband, Glaurung, quote, the first of the fire drakes of the north. Glaurung has been growing for some time, but was still in his youth, and so had not developed the full armor of dragons. And so Fingon and several archers on horseback are able to pin Glaurung down, but he escapes and returns to Angband. The elves rejoiced in their victory over the dragon, but, quote, few foresaw the full meaning and threat of this new thing. So, let's examine this new thing for a moment. Up until this point, the creatures that serve Morgoth that we know of are orcs and balrogs. Now, we don't get a lot of details on how Morgoth created the dragons. Perhaps he had gotten the idea from Manwe's great eagles. This dragon in particular was given the name of Glaurong, which is the Sindarin word for gold worm. Interesting, one of the names given to Smog, the dragon from The Hobbit, is Smog the Golden. Perhaps there's some connection there. As far as I can remember, Glaurung is not referenced in the books or movies, at least not specifically by name. But in the same scene I referenced earlier in the second Hobbit movie, The Desolation of Smog, Thranduil the Elven King rebukes Thorin by saying, Do not speak to me of dragon fire. I have faced the great serpents of the north. And he reveals part of his face to be greatly damaged and burned. Tolkien never actually wrote that scene or a story in which Thranduil encountered a dragon, but it fits the mythology when Thranduil says that the dragons come from the north, because the first dragon, Glaurung, came from Morgoth's kingdom in the north. We'll see Glaurung wreak havoc and destruction in further tales, but for now, after these victories, the people of Beleriand prospered. Peace prevailed for a long time. The Noldor and Sindar elven factions mingled together. Quote, And many fair things they made in those days, and poems, and histories, and books of lore. Let's review. The Noldor set up the siege of Agman in the northern lands of Beleriand. Many years of peace ensue in which the elves explore the land and expand their kingdoms. Round is founded in the caves by Galadriel's brother, but Galadriel dwells in Doriath because of her great love for Celeborn. Morgoth at times tests the strength of the elves, and we've seen the first appearance of a dragon. Please wander with me next week as we explore Beleriand, how Turgon builds the hidden city of Gondolin, and King Thingol finally learns of the kinslaying in Aqualonde. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. For feedback on the show, please email me at LordOfTheRingsPodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at beginnersguidelotrpodcast. Until next week, remember, not all those who wander are lost.